Today I had the opportunity to speak to someone that truly, truly affected me in a way where I saw things a little bit different than I used to. When you listen to her story and what she has to say, then you probably understand more of what I'm saying if you truly are listening. Fitzcaller is an amazing human being. She's an amazing woman, strong, resilient, kind-hearted. And I think that if we all pay attention, we can learn so much. And I got the honor, and I appreciate her so much for sharing her story right here on Voices of Courage, Walk the Talk. Welcome, Fitzcaller. And we're so excited and so happy that you're here. Hey everybody, this is your host, Brandy J, and Voices of Courage, Walk the Talk. I have with me here today an awesome guest. She's an author of my Noisy Cancer Comeback and a fitness expert, a race announcer, and her name is Fitz Kohler. Fitz Kohler, how are you? I am spectacular, Brandy. So happy to be on your show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for wanting to come on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've been trying to get in, like, I've, you know, been kind of like following you, and then I thought I lost you, and then I saw you again, I was like, oh, yeah, definitely got to have her <laughs> on the show, because you had such an amazing, you know, story, and, and now you said you have a, a, a awesome book, so, uh, I, you know, there's like so much, like, about you, you know, that I, I that I read, that I was like, there's some, a lot to this woman, but I know what stood out for me is your your journey and your struggle with well i'm not your journey with cancer yeah breast cancer yeah and i like the fact that you pointed out why didn't anybody tell us what's gonna you know what it's gonna be like or what you're gonna like go through right right so you know i i think the interesting parts about my experience are the contrast you know so iron ironic i'm that girl who everyone would expect would not be diagnosed with anything at all. I truly walk the walk when it comes to fitness. I'm never boring. I I'm sorry, I'm never perfect. <laughs> and I also am never boring. I don't know why that word came out of my mouth, but I've been teaching fitness for 30 years at a very high level. I have a master's degree at exercise and sports sciences. I teach on TV, through radio, books, magazines. I'm you know, spokesperson or speaker for big companies like Disney, Oakley, Tropicana. I mean, I ooze health and happiness. That's kind of what I do. And so the fact that I had clean mammogram December 2018, less than seven weeks later at a hotel bathroom at a race, I, I was got out of the shower and I rubbed my under boob. I had an itch and there I felt it. It felt like a bean that definitely shouldn't have been there. And I instantly knew it. I thought, oh crap, I have breast cancer. And so you know, important story note is that the second I found that bean, I picked up my cell phone. I didn't call my mom and cry. I didn't Google it. I didn't put my head in the sand and ignore it. I picked up my phone instantly and made the appointment. And again, I'm the girl who, I'm a vegetarian. You know, I exercise all the time. I never smoke. I rarely drink. I do everything right. But yet there I was with this lump in my breast. You know, I'm the exhibit A of 
if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. But I'm also a great example of our power to save our own lives because within a week I was at a radiologist having an ultrasound and a, and a, a mammogram and another ultrasound. And it was there that not only did that radiologist see that tumor in my breast, but I also had three hard swollen lymph nodes. And what that means is that the cancer had already started spreading. It was very fast. It was a very aggressive form of breast cancer. And if I hadn't have found that lump myself, and if I hadn't have reported it instantly, I may be one of those sad tales where you were talking about me instead of to me. So uh, yeah, we had to fight this cancer very aggressively too. Within three weeks of finding my lump, I had started what turned out to be 15 solid months of chemo, 33 rounds of radiation, a couple surgeries. I mean, I went through the ringer, but I survived. And that really is an important thing when it comes to any type of cancer is being aware of your body and uh, investigating your body. You know, I always tell people, get your annual exams, but you also have to squeeze your stuff. There you go. And it's your stuff. And it's okay to put your hands in your shirt or put your hands in your pants and feel around. And people should be looking at your skin, no matter what color you are, you're susceptible to melanomas or basal cell skin cancers, your eyes, your heart, all of it needs a checkup. We take our cars into the mechanic once a year, got to take your body in too. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I always think that too, when it comes to the things that we find to be important, but we don't put our health <laughs> in that yeah. whole thing. <laughs> and you know what? The health sits on the back burner for many people, but the second you're diagnosed with, whether it's cancer or MS or Parkinson's or ALS, whatever it is, the second you're diagnosed, the only thing in the world that you want is health. You stop caring about the car and the motorcycle and the boat or the jet ski. It's all about health. And so if you prioritize it on a day-to-day -day basis, you're a lot more likely to keep it healthy. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. That's very, very important because without it, then everything else we try to achieve is pretty much like, <laughs> well, if you, if you plan on having those things, I guess you have to be well and alive. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Wow, okay. So with with that being said, so um, everything that you, and also you being, uh, you were already a, a fitness expert, right? Yes. So I've been teaching fitness for 30 years. I have a master's degree and uh, yeah, I know my stuff for certain. Wow. So was it when, when you were diagnosed, um, I'm pretty sure that that did that take a back burner? I did not allow it to take a back burner. So there is where, where my story becomes very interesting is if I would have taken a year and a half off of work, <laughs> nobody would have blamed me. But me, I decided even before I had my first dose of chemo that I was not giving up two things, time with my kids. I have two teenagers, nor was I giving up my career. <coughs> Excuse me. And within my career, I traveled the country almost every weekend. <coughs> Excuse me, Brandy. I, I travel the country every weekend hosting some of the largest, most prestigious running events on the planet. So I live in Florida, but you know, from weekend to weekend, I bounce from California to Pennsylvania, New York, Texas, you name it. And I stand on the start and finish lines 
uh, on stages at the start and finish lines of these mega races, 20,000 people, 30,000 people, 10,000 people, you name it. And I'm there to welcome our athletes, play music, make sure everybody is engaged, informed, entertained. I whip everybody into a frenzy. I yell, go. And then when they finish their distance, whether it's a one mile, a 5K or a 26.2 mile marathon, um, I'm at the finish line welcoming them home like a champion. And so what I do requires lots of energy and it's front and center in front of mass amounts of people. And even though I knew I was going to be bald, I decided that I earned my rightful spot on those stages. I love my events. I live for my runners and I wasn't going to give it up. And so I worked with my oncologist and said, listen, I'm, I'm not giving this up. So let's figure it out. And we had all sorts of interesting maneuvers that kept me upright. I was violently ill for the first five months, just violently ill, so sick, so, so very sick, but I still would get on those planes and my poor husband would drop me off at the airport and he'd walk me up to TSA and he would look at me and say, how are you going to do this? And I was there again, bald, gray, no eyelashes and stomach exploding. And I would just look at him and say, I just am. And so I would fly across the country and quite often I'd get picked up and delivered straight to some sort of facility or my hotel room where nurses were waiting for me with IV fluids. And I'd be getting IV fluids throughout the weekend. But when it came to game time, as soon as I stepped up on my stages, I felt like full force fits Kohler almost. And I get to make tons mm. of happy noise and live very fully. And so, you know, not every cancer case is different. Every single one, they're all built like snowflakes. However, my golden advice to people that are going through anything is, you know, keep perspective because it can always be worse. You know, for me, I was grateful that I wasn't a kid with cancer and it wasn't my kid with cancer. And fortunately for me, it wasn't one of the more typically lethal forms of cancer. There was hope at the end of my um, treatment. So I decided not to have a pity party. I never had a why me moment. I cried all the time. I had infinite amounts of stress. I just didn't let it ruin me. Uh, I kept my passions in my life. And so again, my passions were my work and my kids. Some people may love music or art or dancing or TV, whatever it is, you should keep those things that you find special to you with you no matter what. That's where you have to fight to keep it in. If you love soccer and you can't get out and play, okay, we'll watch World Cup soccer on TV whenever possible. Read about your favorite soccer players. Get a soccer video game while you're in the hospital. I mean, there's there's ways to incorporate our passions to lift up our spirits. And, you know, I truly believe that my, the running community was uh, part of my cure. And if I hadn't had all of those happy moments along the way, I'm not convinced I would have survived this cancer. So it really is important for people to you know, fight for the things that matter to them and keep a positive attitude. You know, I, I learned that I didn't, I wasn't going to get any extra points for sit ar sitting around being as sad as humanly possible. So if someone said something funny, I took the opportunity to laugh. You know, it just, um, I think attitude and engagement goes a long way. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. I think that should be the, the, a very um, definitive line of, like you said, life or death, just that. Yeah. Because that's what we do as human beings. We like to laugh. Those things that people take for granted, I don't really think that's important that could actually save a life. 
like if someone's you know ill and you make them laugh and you know and bring happiness you know that could be that changes everything it does it does and you know i had a my <laughs> my treatment was a bit of a roller coaster it was things were constantly changing and i would feel good and then all of a sudden something else would happen to make me feel bad or change the way i looked i lost weight i lost it, it felt like for at least a solid year, I was constantly losing things, losing hair, losing um, beauty, losing size, losing energy, losing, 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 losing. And at one point, it was at the very end of my um, first six rounds of chemo, which were the apparently the most toxic form of chemotherapy drugs they give to anyone I had for five months. And so at the very end, before my last round, my oncologist said, Fitz, you're doing really well. And I had just been hospitalized. I said, I am not doing well. And I was a basket case. I was shaking. I was so stressed about this upcoming round of chemo I was going to have that day. He said, no, you did really, really well. And I just looked at him and I thought, Dr. Gordon, if you hadn't guaranteed me a cure, at this is the point where I would tap out. You know, I had hit, even with all my wonderful stuff, Cancer can cancer care can be so brutal that I understood what it was like for someone, say, with pancreatic cancer with no cure in in sight, to give up. You know, so I felt I got to despair, even though I did almost everything right and I truly lived in a, a life of more adventure than most healthy people have in a year. But had I not pursued that, if if I had just stayed in bed in a dark room alone and sick and sad, I I might have tapped out. It, it really is rough. So, you know, wherever you are in your treatment, you should fight to make every day as special as possible. And, and of course, if you have to rest, rest. But you have to take control where you can. And I think that goes for not only cancer patients, but everybody. You know, you wake up in the morning, you control your day to the max, figure out, how to do work that you care about and spend time with people you enjoy and remove the people who are jerky to you. You know, we don't have to be around mean people just because they're family. If they're, if they're horrible, <laughs> cut them yeah. out, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I believe day, <laughs> they matter. So, um, you know, I, I went into cancer with really good perspective with a really positive attitude, but as thankfully I'm done with cancer care, I feel even more grateful to be alive and passionate about athletic adventure and seeing new things and being with great people. It matters. Yeah, truly does. It truly does. So what would you say to, you know, because of how much of how it's important that one that has cancer um, or any, you know, uh, illness that they still are able to have those moments with family and laughter and love. What would you say now to the other to the like the family members that have you know loved ones with cancer you know like as far as not knowing what to say or how to you know or or for them forgetting that you're still human and that you know doing those same things it's okay you don't have to walk on eggshells like making sure you make them laugh like what would you say to 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 someone Great question. So I actually target this in my book. So there's a few things not to say, and I'll start with those. So at the at the beginning, when I had to announce my diagnosis, and I, I'm a very public person, I'm on stages, and I have a huge following. So I had to make this announcement on video saying, guys, I got breast cancer, um, but I'm going to be fine. I'm going to look weird, feel sick for a while, but I'm going to show up at my events, perform as expected. 
there's a cure for me. So no pity. And uh, you can root for me, but I'm going to be okay. So anyways, a lot of people reached out, thousands of people reached out with love and, you know, wonderful messages for me. And then some people would reach out and say, Hey, Fitz, sorry to hear about your diagnosis. Just want to let you know that my mom just died of breast cancer. Bye. Or my aunt just died of breast cancer. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. Like, why would you say that to me? Why would you remind me of how lethal this disease can be? I thought, you know, these people, they were definitely just trying to connect. But yeah. if you know a person who's going through XYZ and you know someone who just died of XYZ, do not point that out. Don't go, hey, Bob just died of that. Just stop, you know, be positive, say, wow, science has come so far. You know, medicine is amazing. I'm sure they're going to do wonderful things to help you get better, you know, stay positive. Um, people don't really like to talk about the hair thing. And so it was nice when people say, oh, your head is so cute. So I never wore a wig. I never wore a hat. I just decided to go bald and that was fine. But people would say, oh, do you know that when your hair comes in, it may be a different color or a different texture? And that is widely known, known information. And it was really annoying because what these people were saying is, hey, Fitz, you know the hair that you had that you loved and lost? You may never have that again. And uh, I thought that was kind of insensitive. And I'm, I'm not yeah. easily offended and I'm not easily put off. But they were so enthusiastic about this information they had without considering the fact that that long, beautiful blonde hair I had, I loved. I kept it that way for a reason. Telling me that it may never be the same wasn't uplifting or funny. So try not to do that to people. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of things that I kind of cover in the book. And again, nobody says, nobody talks to you about your cancer with uh, bad intentions. It's just a little more ignorant. However, the ways that you can help is, first of all, with your time. You know, not everybody has a lot of money to contribute or pay your bills or whatever. Um, but people can come over and help. They can vacuum, do dishes, bring food, drive you to and from appointments. I think the gift of time is something anybody and everybody can give. And I'm a really self-sufficient person, healthy with a strong husband who was a great caregiver, but he had to work 40, 50 hours a week. And I had teenagers who weren't driving yet, so we had to get them to school and activities safely. And so the people that drove Ginger and Parker around, oh my gosh, that was the greatest gift I could ask for. The people that brought over meals, you know, I had become so sick at some point that shopping for food and cooking really wasn't within my wheelhouse, but you know, people did those things for us. So if you care about someone, start by giving your time. Uh, if, if there's someone who hasn't prepared for crisis with health insurance or a savings account, perhaps you can contribute monetarily or get them gift cards. And uh, then the other thing I think that would be vital to give is just um, friendship. And, you know, you may want to just ask specifically, what can I do for you today? I'm going to do one thing for you. It might as well be something you need or want. So, you know, be a little adamant about that. And uh, I've had a ton of friends go through cancer care and I've pitched in on their their life even before my diagnosis. And I wasn't shy about it. I would go pound on those doors and say, hey, I'm doing something for you right now. Point me in the right direction or I'll go screw something up. And they would inevitably say, okay, pull my lunch. <laughs> Or do my, you know do my vacuuming and and it was a great gift. Yeah, that's awesome. 
that's like really good to get to, people don't really like think about stuff like this a lot but these things are important to know they really yeah are. <laughs> we know everybody knows somebody with cancer in fact i think everybody knows 10 people with cancer it's just rampant yeah yeah very much yeah but like you said for you you chose a word that actually i did a podcast with somebody on and then i did one today and they used the word is perspective and that's like very key in like um anything and everything that goes on or how we handle stuff is our perspective and it sounds like yours is was saved you know is what you know saved your life it sounds like because it could you know just your whole perspective could just it you know just be completely your whole situation can be completely different just by your attitude and how you you know you think about something and how you decide to deal with it yeah, you know, we're all going to face adversity, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, how much money we have, everyone faces as adversity. It's just, you know, the things we can control are the way we respond to it. Yeah. And you and I see there's always that one friend on Facebook saying, oh, pray for me. I sprained my ankle. And I'm, I just look at this person. And I think, really, <laughs> you're eating up the prayers and your sprained ankle. And then the also, also the other thing that drives me crazy is how people choose to be a victim they want to be seen as a victim they want to be seen as weak and helpless and oh everyone's gonna feel bad for me and that will make me feel good because i'm getting attention the yeah. last thing on earth is i don't want anyone to look at me as a victim because of cancer i was not cancer's victim i i had cancer but i was the victor i chose that from the get-go i'm a woman but I, i'm not joining some sort of women's you know, live party. Oh, helpless women. We're fighting for women's rights. No, I believe we're, we've got equal rights now. And I am not ever going to be chosen because I'm a female race announcer. And people have asked, oh, we need a female voice. And I'll say, okay, go hire someone else. Only hire me if you want the best announcer, because I, I don't want to be chosen for my lady parts. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't need to be in a subcategory. I'm just not, I'm not into it. And so you know, we get back to that person saying, oh, I have a sprained ankle. And and that's really just, I, I don't, I can't identify with that mentality where you want yeah. to be seen as weak or helpless or vulnerable. It just, I, maybe it's kind of the animal kingdom, you know, <laughs> where <laughs> you look like prey, you become prey. I would <laughs> rather look like a lion than a sheep. So right. that, that certainly helped me through my treatment and life. Yeah, I noticed that a whole lot, and it's just like to me. It's like I, I try to, I know I can't identify it, and kind of like it turns me off from that. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, what's yeah. that about? <laughs> yeah, in society, we don't. Um, what's the word? We don't glom on to the helpless people. We glom on to the strong, the mighty. You know, there's uh, these uh, Elon Musk. There's LeBron James. There's these people that have accomplished great things. Those are the ones that we want to be like, that we're interested and engaged in. And, you know, obviously you don't fight cancer as a popularity contest, but just in general, the attitude of I am strong, I will be victorious over my career, my education, my relationships, my health. You know, when you choose to be the victor, good things come your way. Um, and society says though, because we don't have any sick weaklings on entertainment tonight or on, you know there's there's no one on our list of top 100 people we admire that take on a, a pathetic disposition right right yeah.
it would make sense. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> oh man, that that'd be that'd be something though. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to be like that guy. We want to be like Mike. So um <laughs> choose to be like Mike. Oh. Well, I want to ask you, so what um because I know as a you were a race uh you were so a race announcer, right? And you I was reading that um like you wrote a lot of things like uh about nostril wigs and then parenting with cancer stood out um for me and then kind strangers and also the the friend ghosting friend ghosting you and I those ones stood out to me because, you know, they'll just got the kindness in there, you got the, you know, friend loss that usually comes yeah. with you know, stuff like this and and then so, you're still a mom. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with the nostril wigs. And that was one of the main inspirations of the book is that nobody really tells you the truth about cancer care. They always say, hey, you know, you might be sick and you may be bald and tired. And I was all of those things. But nobody told me that all of my nostril hair would fall out. And I didn't even realize that was happening. My nose was running and running and running, running, not just running, but splish, splash, brain fluid flying out of my face. And I kept thinking, what is going on? And then it was a, another breast cancer survivor who I told her I had allergies. She goes, you don't have allergies. I go, yeah, I do. She goes, you don't have any nostril hair. And I said, what? And she was right. And so if you don't have nostril hair, all the liquid in your head flies out your nose. And so, you know, I always said I never would, I've, I never would have worn a wig, but I definitely would have worn nostril wigs if they were a thing and they were for mm -hmm. sale. But that was just one of the weird things. My eyes changed colors, um, you know, as if being bald wasn't enough. When my hair fell out, I was left with a skunk stripe of a tan line that went where my hair was parted in the middle. So I, I was bald with this tan line going straight down the top of my head. And then I, I had rashes from chemo. So I, I kind of looked and felt like an ogre because I had all these bumps. So there was all these little tiny details that were kind of significant that I thought nobody ever tells you this. My fingernails rotted out on my fingers and, and they stayed there rotting for weeks and they stunk like rotting human and nobody told me about, nobody told me how to get rid of that. So, you know, at some point, all those little side effects started becoming quite funny. I thought, you know, this is hilarious. It's, it's, I, I was suffering. Yes but it became ridiculous. And I think it was at the point where my eyes changed colors that I thought, oh my God, I have to write a book because people are gonna get a kick out of this. So, um, and the book is really filled with tons of what I've been told are hilarious stories because, you know, there's a, there's, I got raw and real and told all the gory details. So at some point you'll go, oh, that was, that was tough to read. But from what I hear is everybody's just laughing their head off about my cancer experience and, other cancer patients are really having a good laugh because they can identify with it. Um, next up is the talking about my kids. You know, I really, I reveal in the book how I told them I had cancer and that's a really tough conversation obviously to have with your child because people associate cancer immediately with death. Yeah. And, you know, you have to make sure you have that conversation very strategically. Um, my son handled it quite peacefully, my daughter just wailed. I mean, the poor thing just sobbed and sobbed. It was very difficult. Um, but what I was most pleased with is um, these kids are raised right because they're very resilient. And once they were uh, through the initial shock, 
uh, they quickly turned from feeling sad to picking on mom's bald head. You know, it went mm -hmm. in, in my family went to laughing about me. And, you know, even sometimes where I didn't want to be picked on, I, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to laugh because it's far better for them to be having fun with this situation rather than them sitting in their rooms crying about, you know, mom being sick and weird looking. And, you know, fortunately they have school and activities. And so they didn't, just sit around feeling bad with me. They had their wonderful lives to live. And uh, I I never took them in for a scary doctor appointment, not once. Some people choose opposite. They decide, hey, we're all gonna go to the doctor appointment. We're all gonna do cancer. And I just thought, no way am I gonna terrify my kids, having them watch people poke needles in my chest every day. So, you know, I left them at home and um, we made the best of it. And thankfully our community pitched in with, you know, meals and rides and things, distractions. And uh, that was really nice. And then I'm trying to think what else you asked about. Um, I think it was, uh, I know there was the friend ghosting and the kind strangers. Yeah, so um, I did have some interesting experiences with friends. So for the most part, everybody was wonderful. And I, I am fortunate that my circle of friends isn't just my circle of actual friends. My friends span now for the thousands and thousands of people who I've met once or twice at races. And yet I would show up to an event and they would all show up with presents for me or cards or notes. And they, they were so lovely. Um, and then my, I have a handful of ride or die best friends, maybe seven girls who I've known for 20 to 40 years now. And a few of them were right there with me, calling regularly. Some of them would text and say, hey, you don't have to respond, just know I love you. And that was really nice, especially because sometimes I actually felt too, too sick to text. But I had one of my girlfriends just never call again. Like she went from being one of my best friends to never calling after my diagnosis. And I, I just can't figure it out. We didn't have any curse words, uh, but I hear this is not unusual. A lot of people lose friendships over, you know, a cancer diagnosis. And, and I don't know why. And this, this person who was one of my best friends since sixth grade, we always had a great relationship. And I don't, you know, I don't hate her because she hasn't, because she abandoned me once I was diagnosed. I'm disappointed, um, but it's weird, <laughs> super weird. Yeah. And again, I, I know I'm not the only one that's happened to. I did have one running couple. It's, and they're, I think they're a very nice couple. And I don't know what goes on in other people's marriages. So I try not to judge. But I met the husband at a race. Really nice, decent human being. We had some injuries in common. That's how we met each other. And he would constantly pop by. He raced maybe five or six races events or uh, five or six events a year that I hosted, he would come to and run. Not because I was there, those were just his local races, but he would stop by, have a hug, we'd have a chat, take a selfie on my stage and go on with it. And um, uh, maybe six months to a year before my diagnosis, he said, hey, just wanna let you know, I'm gonna untag our photos because my wife doesn't want me hanging out with you. And I just thought, oh, well, that's weird and that's hurtful because I'm so not only was I nice to him, but I was always very warm and friendly to her and there there was nothing going on with us. But I thought, uh, OK, well, her marriage, her rules. But this is what happened is 
as soon as I became diagnosed and all that long blonde hair was removed from my head, instantly she became a big fan of me and they would show up to, you know, talk to me and stuff. And I thought, huh, it was that evil long blonde hair that made me a bad person that her husband couldn't associate with. But now that I'm bald and I look kind of weird, maybe that's why she could. I, th- I thought that was very strange. And so that that couple, so the husband has read my book. He's still, I think the world of him and I actually like them both. Um, but he reached out and said, hey, I just read through chapter you know, seven or whatever chapter I mentioned. And I don't name them by names. I would never do that. I just talked about the situation. He said, I'm so sorry if we added to your stress. And I said, you didn't. You've never been anything but a wonderful friend. But it, it's just interesting, right? I mean, I thought yeah. this is a, a unique situation. And, and I know I'm not the only person. I mean, I look back before my diagnosis and I think, oh, I was really pretty. <laughs> you know, and then all there I was bald with no lashes. And, you know, my face at some point was swollen. And then I lost a lot of weight. So then my face was sunken and kind of wrinkly and I was gaunt and shapeless. And I thought, okay, I'm no longer that pretty girl anymore, but I'm not a different person, you know, interested in her husband then. And I wasn't interested in her husband at that point. And, uh, it's just, and then the most part is that strangers were incredible. And, you know, our, our countries in, involved in so much turmoil, it seems, or at least the media will tell you that. Yeah. The media tells you that everybody hates each other and white people hate black people and black people hate white people and all these religions hate each other. And I think that's completely untrue yeah. because the majority the of Yes, yes. And what I experienced roaming the country through airports, bald and weird, is that every person of every color, of every size, of every shape, of every age wanted to you know, everyone wanted to carry my bag or get me a drink or grab me a blanket. They were off. Everyone was, you know, I, I just was the poster girl for campus cancer. I never wore a pink ribbon. I never wore a shirt that said warrior or cancer fighter or any of those things. I just was a regular dressed person with a bald head. And the whole world basically wanted to take care of me Um throughout that period. And and I think that we live in the most generous, compassionate, kind country on the planet. And I will spend the rest of my life trying to pay it forward to my fellow man. I mean, Americans are so good. It was beautiful. Yeah, that's amazing. And you have a very good point too, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, how the media make it seem, you know, something else. And um, and it's not, and then it makes one look at it like as if that's not what America is like. It's you know like a horrible place with horrible people, and look what they do, you know. And then if you if we actually sit back and think of our own experiences, now if you've had those experiences, then you know I mean those are those your experiences. But for the most part, like me, I've always had friends of different um national you know cultures, nationalities, and. Even as a young girl, I asked my mother, could I go to a different school? Because I had, you know, I knew an Indian boy. I knew like uh, a La- uh, Laotian and I had a white girl, a white, um, white girl. I had one, no, two. They're my best friends. They're two white girls. They're my best friends. And then, you know, I had Hispanic. I had black, but I wanted to know. I wanted to bust out because, you know, for the majority, 
it was Hispanic and mostly a black um, neighborhood I was raised in, but I wanted to go somewhere else because I wanted to be exposed to more culture and more types of people, you know, and all my experiences have been good. I have tons of, you know, that cliche they always use, I have a lot of white friends, a lot of black friends, <laughs> you know, but I truly do, you know, very great ones. And, you know, I've been done wrong by people that look like me, you know, and the other colors. So I think about it, I'm like, but the meat, and then people take on that, you know, that what the media is putting out there and then you get all this, this, this chaos and you're like, well, wait, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? This is, this can't be real. And it's not. It's, Right. has nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I mean, I I don't stand for all women, right? Like, I stand for America, but other than that, I don't stand for any part. Like, I don't stand for white people, for women, for you know, Catholics, or you know, I just am. I represent Fitz Kohler, and this is who I am. And uh, I judge other people based on their individual behavior, <laughs> and then right. my and I, I truly think most people do. And and for certain, there's a bunch of horrible people of every color. And when you deal with anyone or any every genre of person, right? Every sexuality, every employment. You know, I, I see a really bad teacher. You know, there we constantly have teachers in the news that are molesting children. I don't look yeah. at all teachers and think they're all rapists. I know there's a couple of bad cops. Most cops are super generous. I know there's yeah. a bunch of jerky fitness professionals. There's a bunch of nasty fitness professionals taking advantage of people, selling them diet pills, whatever. That doesn't represent all of us. You know, it's just, um, it's, it's not so hard to be nice, right? And if, if somebody is unpleasant or mean or nasty, then they should take the brunt of that themselves. They don't represent their whole group. Um, yeah. I, it's not so hard to be nice. I think everybody really should. Not. Yeah. I Rand it's free too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we should all turn off the news, shouldn't we? Yes, everyone. <laughs> I don't watch it. I take no parts in it. But I still keep finding the information, but it's not coming from them. And that's what's most important. So I just don't even turn that on at all whatsoever. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing less and less all the time. It's It's... I think the news is ugly. I think real life is really good. Yeah. Can you imagine if no one did, we'd probably get correct information. We wouldn't live in fear. And That's we'd right. be kinder to one another. <laughs> yes, you and I, Brandy, we're going to go solve all the world's problems together. <laughs> it's so I have like steps too. Just love and kindness, empathy. And I, I totally believe that would change, change the world. And some people are like, how's that going to change the world? I'm like, well, think about it. If you really love, you know, you uh, love people, you know, you know what that feels like. So you're not going to do anything to not to do to hurt others. You was, you know, you're kind and you have empathy. So, you you know, you empathize with people. Then, you, you know, the things that go on in the world that we do, that humans do to other humans, it really wouldn't happen because that's not what love and empathy and kindness do. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I'm like, we had that, then we get to go. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I think it's important to sterilize the world of evil people, but let's just hold those in evil individuals accountable and move on, right? That's key right there. You said you said something right there. You said that, <laughs> you know, innocent suffer and the, the ones, you know, that the actually cause these heinous things, they go like, 
oh, he was just having a bad day. All right, see you tomorrow. <laughs> no, no, no. It's evil individuals who get accountable, and then the rest of us get to live like you know, human, like normal people, I guess. It's very, it's, it's, they're, these are very weird times. <laughs> yes, it's so weird, right? Like every day I'm like, I wake up, I'm like, yeah, this is still happening. I'm like, I, tr I kind of like trip out a little bit. So I'm like, I, I'm only 42, but I'm like, I can't really like believe that I'm really living in this right now. Like this is the stuff I used to watch on TV and I don't even watch TV anymore. Yeah. This became my reality and I was just like, oh dear. So here's the good parts, though, of about all this is that if you go through ancient history, there was always times of turmoil. There's always someone, some religion, some, you know, uh, firecracker causing a problem. It's just, I don't know, it's just part of the history. We got to stop falling for it. That's it. We yeah. just got to stop falling for it. So people say get angry. No, get get nicer. Yeah. Nicer, be kinder, and you know, and just help one another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I like you. <laughs> oh man, man. So, um, I definitely want people to know where to look for my noisy cancer comeback because that's a very you like put your heart and soul into this book. I did. I did. And what I'm really enjoying most um, from the book is that so many people within the cancer community, patients, survivors, caregivers, they're, they're loving it. And they're saying, oh, thank you. This really helps. So it's nice to have a book that's entertaining for anyone, but useful for people that are, you know, going through hard times. So yeah, it's my noisy cancer comeback and it's available wherever books are sold. So technically y'all can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Audible or Google Play and get the book. However, if you would like autograph copies, um, I'm selling the paperback and hardcover books on my website, fitness.com. That's F-I-T-Z as in zebra, N-E-S-S. -S. So it's the word fitness with a Z in the middle, fitness.com. And that's where you get those books. And if you purchase on my site. I also send you a little gift with purchase. And uh, I'm also at fitness on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and I'm constantly putting out new tools people can use to become fitter today. So workout videos, healthy recipes. I live stream almost daily with today we talked about, you know, how to get a power nap. And tomorrow we're going to talk about cigarette smoking and stopping doing that. So, you know, I have a lot of free content to help you live better and longer. Awesome, that's neat, and I'll definitely make sure I get um, put all of the the links in where they can find you into the show notes too. And I do I do appreciate you for spending time with us and letting us know, you know, all the all the positive things that you know that you know, because like you said, when you hear things like this, you people associate with that, you know, and you have this way of talking about it where. It's associated with you're still just a human being, and it's something that you cho you chose to deal with, and with a perspective of you know being positive and still keep moving on instead of taking it as a dun dun dun, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I, I think with everything, it's control what we can, and if you have a, a three step plan for controlling what you can, which for me was perspective, passion, and positivity. You know, I got through it far better than I would have without those steps. So I just 
you know, uh, control what you can every day, let go of the things you can't control. And, um, you know, no matter what, you'll have a lot more peace in your heart and you have a lot more positive experience than you would have without it. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining me. And if ever, maybe in the future, like if we ever had like a Q and A and people want to ask questions, uh, love uh, it. Feel yeah. Hey, that was like my, my way of like asking you, like, you just so happy yeah. to stop by here. <laughs> I will do All anything right. for you. So whatever you ask thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And everyone, this is the awesome, amazing, amazing Fitz Kohler. And check her out. And we definitely are looking forward to having you back. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. All righty, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. This is Voices of Courage. Walk the talk with Brandy Day. Peace. Peace. Thank you.